and he has a plan for us as well. What's interesting is when I thought about the uh, passage for today, which we're going to look at from Romans chapter 11, it is about God's perfect plan. Now, it's talking about God's perfect plan for Israel and for the nations, but it also has applications for us as well. And that's what I want to share with you this morning as we uh, look at God's Word. In Romans chapter 11, it begins with a question about God's plan for Israel. And it ends with a doxology that praises God for His wisdom and knowledge. And we won't get through all of chapter 11 today, but we will cover the first part of it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. It's at times like these when we look to You and we gain confidence from the truth of Your Word and encouragement from what we find there. Lord, we look to You to help us through this time of transition in our church. And we trust You. And we thank You, Lord, for the way that You have moved in Pastor Ron's life and called him to a new ministry for your uh, concern for Pastor Dan and Carol as they've walked through some tough things health-wise for Dan this last few years and then have opened a door for uh, future opportunities that are really exciting for Dan and a new vision that you have given to him. And I thank you that Dan and Carol will remain a part of our church and involved in what we are doing here. And Father, we thank you too for the way that you are leading in these searches and provision that encourage us uh, along the way. So guide us today as we talk about your word and help us uh, this morning to hear what it is you want to say to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, many years ago I heard uh, a marriage prayer that includes a line like this. It said, Lord, give me enough of trials to always keep me on my knees and give me enough of blessings to know I always walk with thee. And there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, that's really where I think we want to live. We want to live in dependence upon God and His Holy Spirit, and so there are these challenges and trials that come up in life, and yet we want to know that God's in it as we go through it. And so the blessings He gives are a reminder of that. And as we look to this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to see through the Apostle Paul how God had a plan both for Israel and for the nations that affects you and me. Listen to what he writes in chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 12. I ask then, Did God reject His people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject His people whom He foreknew. Don't you know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did, and the others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. 
But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Amen. Paul begins by telling us that God has a plan for Israel. And the very first question he asks is that did God reject his people? In other words, did God reject Israel totally? Is he done with Israel? No, not at all, is what the scripture says. In fact, the scripture reminds us that there has always been a remnant who believed in every generation. And we see that in Israel's history. We see that also today. And what Paul does is he begins by pointing to himself. And he says, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham. I mean, if God had rejected his people totally, I wouldn't be here, is what he is saying. But I've been called by God, and I have come to believe that Jesus is that promised one, the Messiah. And so Paul went out as an apostle to the Gentiles. He also points to Elijah and his uh, time in which he lived when he was confronting these prophets of Baal and the people of Israel had turned away and they were worshiping false gods. And remember there was this great uh, kind of gathering where he challenged the prophets of Baal to call down fire from heaven. Pastor Dan actually included that in his message last week, that story. And after God had answered by sending fire from heaven in response to Elijah's prayer, Elijah fled and went into the wilderness, fearful for his life and what had happened. And Elijah is there in the wilderness at Mount Horeb, and God comes and meets with him. He gives him food. He gives him rest. But most of all, Elijah needed a fresh vision of God. He needed to hear from God. And what did God say? God said, Elijah, you aren't the only one that I have. In fact, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. When we see that number 7,000, that is a number symbolic of both perfection in terms of seven and completeness in terms of a thousand. There may have been many more than that indeed. That God had preserved were a people who had faith in him. And that's the way that God works in every generation. There are those who have been chosen by grace that have come to believe in Jesus Christ in our day in this New Testament era. But if you go back in Israel's history, you could tell the stories of Noah and his family who were preserved in the days of the flood. You had Enoch who walked with God before the flood. You had Lot and his family who were rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. When the northern ten tribes were carried away because of their ungodliness by the nation of Assyria, God preserved Judah as the remnant. And later, when Judah rebelled against God, God preserved Daniel and his friends. And then later, it was Ezekiel and Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah. In every generation, there has always been a remnant, even today. And so God is not, has not rejected Israel totally. In our day and age, we meet and we know of those that are Messianic believers, we call them. They are Jews who have come to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And they meet to worship Him with traditions that might be different from ours in how they worship, but they are believers in Jesus Christ who have come to know Him as their Savior and Lord. And secondly, Paul was asked the question by those who heard him, well, is God's rejection of Israel final? In other words, and this comes up in verse 11, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? He again says, no, not at all. What they were asking is, the question, is God finished with Israel? 
has he moved on from Israel to the church so that there is no longer a place for Israel in God's future plan? And Paul would answer that emphatically, no. We do live in the age of the church age in which God is doing His work in and among believers all around the world. But God still has a plan for Israel. Israel has experienced a temporary hardening, but one day all Israel will be saved. And the key verses there where it explains it are verses 25 and 26. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. One day all Israel will be saved. That is an amazing promise. I mean, when you think about the nation of Israel and what is yet to come. When we were in Israel a number of years ago, we had a guide who was a Messianic Jew, and he told us about how God was moving in certain parts of Israel and what he had done and where there were Messianic congregations all over that particular country. But what's amazing to me, and I'm sure to all of you as well, is how Israel has survived as a people. I mean, the very fact that Israel exists as a nation after almost 2,000 years of being scattered among the nations and yet survived as a distinct people is remarkable. I mean, that is one of the greatest testimonies to the authority and the truthfulness of Scripture that God has a plan for Israel. In A.D. 70, when the Romans uh, destroyed the temple in the city of Jerusalem, they were dispersed throughout the Mediterranean at that time and scattered among the nations. And in 1948, at the close of World War II, as you know, they were given this opportunity to return to their homeland and to begin a new uh, period of their history in their land once again. And God has preserved them. In spite of persecutions and pogroms and holocausts, Israel has survived. Even today, it's amazing. This tiny nation that's about the size of New Jersey has about 7 million people. They are surrounded by uh, Arab nations that are about 300 million in population. If you took the whole Muslim world going into Africa and over into Asia, there's about 1 billion Muslims. Actually, it's more than that. And as you know, there are those among that population that would love to just drive Israel into the sea and not see them exist. And yet they remain. And the Bible tells us that one day in the future, again, Israel is going to be this center point, this focus of all the world. And there will be that day when Jesus will return. So God has a plan for Israel. He's not through with them yet in history. But in this generation, this time period and age in which we live, we are living in what is called the age of the Gentiles. And God has a plan for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world, if you will. And we see that in verses 13 and following. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. 
If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul uses an analogy to explain what has happened. That Israel is the root of the olive tree. It is that root or foundation of our faith in which we have come to know about Christ and about His Word. And so what happened was God removed some of those branches of that olive tree and in its place He has grafted in wild branches. We are those wild branches. We are the ones who have come to believe in His Word and in His Son. And what Paul reminds us is there's no place for pride or arrogance in that to think that somehow we were better or more deserving. And there's no place for anti-Semitism among Christians. I mean, we should be grateful for the prophets and for the promises that we have been given. We out of all people ought to be concerned about Israel as a people and praying for their salvation individually. We should be grateful for the Jewish roots of our faith. And remember that Jesus and the disciples were also Jews. And we should pray for Israel. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that we agree with everything that Israel does. And sometimes people confuse those things. It's uh, similar to our own support for our own government. We pray for our country and our nation, but that doesn't mean that we agree with every decision that our government may make. And in that same way, when we look at what's going on in Israel, we're concerned about it. We want peace to come to that part of the world and we pray for peace. But we may have disagreements at times over how things are being handled in the Middle East. That's okay. What Paul writes is this is the time of the Gentiles. And Jesus has called us to go and to make disciples of all the nations and to bring His Word to those who have still yet to hear about Him. And this is a time or a season of great opportunity for us. And, you know, I get excited when I think about what God is doing in the world today and the generation in which we live. And even as a church, we have had tremendous opportunities to participate in that. We've adopted unreached people groups in Asia in which we have sent people out and we have gone both on short-term mission trips as well as sending and supporting people that work there long-term. We are involved in Bible translation, bringing the Scriptures to people that don't have the Bible in their own language. And we have also supported missionaries who are serving in Europe and in South America and North America and other ministry opportunities. This is the time in which we live to use our gifts and our resources to bring the gospel to those who have never heard before. 
And we don't know how long a time we have. We don't know how long it will be before Jesus Christ returns. But we do know this. In Matthew 24, Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's going to happen. It will be done. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will be brought to all the nations, and then the end will come. Paul tells us in Romans 11, verse 25, that there has been a partial hardening of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles have come in. That's an interesting phrase, that this is going to last until the full number of the Gentiles has come in to His kingdom. Now, only God knows when that's going to happen. Only God knows what that full number is in terms of those who will believe. But that is an amazing thing to think about. I mean, can you imagine when the last tribe is reached or the last person to be saved is in and the door in a sense is closed just out like uh, with Noah and the ark when the last of the animals were gathered in God shut the door there was a time of finality when this was done and in that same way he is telling us that here is this window of opportunity to preach the good news to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth but there is a day coming when that door will be closed And the task is done. The night is over and the new day has begun. So what is our part in this age? It is to pray. It is to give of ourselves and our resources. It is to go, if called, to be involved in full-time ministry, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But for all of us, it is to go and be involved wherever we live as a witness for Jesus Christ. God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for the nations. And in that same way, by implication, we understand that God has a plan for our church. And He has a plan for you and for me. There is a promise that God gave to the people of Israel when they were living in captivity in Babylon. It was a time of uncertainty and loss. And He said to them, when 70 years are completed, I'm going to bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. And you will be in your land once again. But the promise He gave to them was a familiar one when He said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That verse has been a comfort to many of us and many believers through the years when we think about just like God had a plan for them, God has a plan for your life and mine. He cares about us and what's going on in our world. And when I think about that in regard to our church, I know that God has a plan for Lakes Free Church. And I'm excited about the opportunities and the plan that He has for us in the future. This past January, we had our annual leadership planning meeting where we bring together all of the ministry teams. And the elders are there and general board members. And we come and we talk about the church and the needs, things that are going well and things that we would like to work on and see happen. And some of the ideas that came out of that meeting this last January were these. That one of the needs we see in our church is to develop more shepherds, more disciple makers. Men and women who have a heart for that and who uh, understand how discipleship works. They see the needs of people around them and they want to help and encourage them to be taking that next step. 
And whether they're involved in our adult ministry or student ministry or children's ministry or worship or wherever it may be, is you get to know people. Shepherds are those who have a heart for the people around them. They care about their walk with God and they want to encourage them to be growing in that relationship with them. And so we want to work at developing more shepherds all across our church because as we grow, we need that. We need to continue to be making healthy disciples who will work together to reach the world for Jesus Christ. But also we felt in our church there is a need to continue reaching out to 20 and 30 year olds to pass the baton in a sense to this next generation of leaders that God is raising up. You know, when we looked at the demographics of our area, do you know that there are more 20-year-olds in Chisago County than there are those in their 50s? And sometimes we think about, you know, uh, generational things. As the baby boomers are getting older, we kind of think there's this dominant wave that's moving through, and it is a large group of people. But there are actually more 20-year-olds in our community and area than there are 50-year-olds. And so you kind of go, well, where are they? Because in the church across the board, not just in our area, but across the country, there is a generation that is struggling to get involved in the church. Where do they fit in? How do they participate? What is it that they are to do? It's a time when many of them are off at college, but it's such a crucial time when they are making these most important decisions about what are they going to do with their life, you know? What kind of work or vocation are they going to pursue? Who are they going to marry? I mean, they're making major life decisions. We want to be a church that welcomes and encourages and helps young adults that are making that transition in their life. And we want to reach out to young families. And we have many of them who visit our church who come because of our children's ministry or Awana or things like that. And we want to do the best job that we can of reaching out and building those relationships and making disciples. When I look at our church, you know, and I think of how it's grown in these past uh, 20-some years, it's exciting to look back and see what God has done as He has provided for us and blessed in the different areas of ministry. We need new dreams and new challenges. And there are some things that we've been talking about as a church and looking at even a different emphasis within our missions. We've done a good job in terms of some of the uh, involvement we've had overseas in different areas of the world. But we've always been concerned about sort of the Samaria piece. And we have opportunities that have come up uh, where we want to share with you in the months ahead opportunities to be involved in the Twin Cities area in some inner city ministries or ways that we can help in terms of reaching out and providing a service and using our gifts to be involved in that area as well as locally. And so it's kind of exciting to see some things that have come up at this very time that fit with what we've been thinking about. And we want to press on in those. We also want those that are new to our church to feel like they own these dreams and visions. Because sometimes you come to a church and you look at it and you think, well, here's an existing ministry and everything's covered and things look like they're going really well and and, uh, moving along. But we want new people to feel like they have a place to participate and be involved in the planning and dreaming and casting a vision for the future. So those are some of the things that we are looking at as we make this transition. I believe that God also has a plan for you and for me individually. And how do we come to know what God's plan for our life is? Well, in Proverbs 16.3, the Scripture says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. 
The way we discover God's plan is by committing our life to Him. It is by saying to God, Here I am, Lord. Use me. The Christian life is a walk of faith. Remember that key verse from Romans 1, verse 17, that says the righteous will live by faith. And that's why it's up here on the front to remind us of what is at the heart of what Paul is trying to say in the book of Romans. We are saved by faith. It is through God's grace and mercy. But every day we live by faith. The Christian life is this great adventure. And I wouldn't want it to be any other way. And there are challenges and there are changes that come along the way and there are also new opportunities. There are seasons of ministry and we give thanks for His blessing in those seasons. But we don't live in the past. We're always looking forward to the future and what it is that God may be doing in our life and in our world. And we commit ourselves to following Him. So how do we respond? We pray. And we ask God to give us wisdom. We listen to His voice and we hear what it is that He is saying to us as a church and individuals. And then we commit ourselves to follow Him and to obey what He has said. That's the challenge for each of us. And that's the challenge for our church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You will guide us through this season of change in which we are in. I thank You that You love us and You care about us and You have a plan for us as individuals and as a church. And just as we have looked at Your Word today and shared this particular challenge, Lord, help us to humble ourselves before You and to pray, to listen to what it is that You are saying to us in this time. And then with all our heart, Lord, help us to commit ourselves to follow You and to obey You and to give You our very best as we seek Your will for the future. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.